How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of hey. Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, I gotta stop you Tim. just right there for a moment. You know, it occurred to me, sitting here over these past 15 episodes, that to be the man, you have to beat the man. And the only way to beat the man is to the assemble the ultimate duo here. On the third line plug sense cast. While we may not be the four hostmen, we are the cream of the crop in sense podcasting. You, the man known as Taylor Gibson, and me, the 16 time sense podcast co hosting, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. Woo! Well, ladies and gentlemen, if there's anything true in this world, it is this. My co-host, Tim Jensey, is anything but humble. Thank you. Wow, that was a great promo, Tim. It was fun. <laughs> oh, no, I know why you're all pumped up, Tim. It's oh. because of last week's episode being the second highest listened episode in our show's history. It might have actually been our most listens in one week, period. That's insane. I mean, the fact that we went from eight listens to 14 in a couple of hours. Yeah. Well, I think it's people are listening to the show now, and that's actually super cool. Oh, it's it's so great. I'm like, like, I'm speechless right now. I don't know what to say. Well, I think I know why we got more listens this week, but I think we'll have to leave that to later in the episode. Oh, for sure, Tim. Now, Tim, I really hope that you had a good week, and... I also hope Chelsea had a great week because my week overall has been eh, pretty pretty quiet on the home front. Except for last week's episode being the second highest listened episode in our show's history. God, that is that's such a good feeling. No kidding. Yeah, I'm excited and I hope we can keep pushing. Oh, for sure. Now, Tim, this week we're actually not going to talk about our week or talk about last week's episode because it is halfway through the NHL season. And, as you recall, at the very first episode of this season, we did their NHL predictions for all the Canadian teams. And now that it's halfway, we got to look at their, our predictions so far. Oh, I'm going to eat crow. <laughs> oh, you and me both, Tim. It is going to suck. Now, the way this is going to go, I'm going to present the seven Canadian teams, and you present overachieve, achieve, underachieve, very simple, and we're going to start off in the Western Conference. We're going to start off with Vancouver. Now, after 41 games, the Canucks have a 16-19-6 record. Now, at the beginning of the season, Tim, you said the Canucks would finish dead last. I said they were most likely a lottery team. Personally... I gotta put them at achieve because Vancouver got off to a pretty decent start to the season. However, injuries to their top guys and overall inexperience have really sunk them into the basement. And overall, I think Travis Green has been a great head coach for Vancouver, and the emergence of rookie Brock Besser, who's been lighting it up in the rookie scoring that really the Canucks have not seen since Pavel Bury. Yeah. Well, I was fairly pessimistic on the Canucks, even suggesting that they'd be in the cellar. Like, that means worse than uh, Buffalo and the team that I admittedly thought would be most improved, the Arizona Coyotes. You and so I, I have both to. Yeah, so I have to say that the Canucks actually overachieved because I wasn't expecting Besser to show up. No, I'm, I'm putting him in a cheat just because the bar wasn't set very high for Vancouver. And the fact that they were almost a 500 team is actually quite impressive. Remember, I said dead last. You simply said a lottery team. That's true. <laughs> now we're off to the tropical droplets of Calgary, Alberta. 
After 41 games, the Flames have a 21-16-4 record. This is a weird one. I'm going to put them in achieve slash underachieve because the Flames have had an overall up and down season, but uh, at the time, at 41 games, they were going on a really good winning streak that moved them closer into a playoff spot. Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goudreau, good as usual. The goaltending was pretty suspect at best. Is it fair to put them in a Chiefs less under Jeep, Tim? Um, I believe I said that they, I think I said they were a lock for a playoff spot. So the fact that they're just kind of battling out puts them right on the knife's edge. Yeah, because you and I both said playoff team for Calgary. Yeah, and the issue, like I kind of suspected that Mike Smith wouldn't hold up. No, and um, well, you know, we talked about this here on the show, right? And we both said that he is not an upgrade from Brian Elliott. You know, we admit it to that. And overall, he's shown that he's not an improvement overall. Mm-hmm. I feel that Calgary's depth has actually let them down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put them on. I think they're underachieving, especially given what that team's top flight talent can do. Oh, absolutely. Now we're going to go up the road to Edmonton. Now, after 41 games, the Edmonton Oilers have an 18-20-3 record. Not surprisingly, I'm going to put them in underachieve because overall, outside of Connor McDavid, the Edmonton Oilers have really struggled. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that even last year, we were expecting them to be a playoff team, but uh, I said they we would also win the division. You that said Carter playoff McDavid. team, maybe contender. Yeah, and I think we also recognize that Connor McDavid would be the driving force, but it's surprising just how, how quickly Chiarelli really wrecked that team. Yeah, but do you feel that the Oilers overall overachieved last season by making the playoffs? Probably. Like, in retrospect. But I don't I don't think anyone expected them to be this bad. Right. Like, uh, I think most people expect them to be like a bubble playoff team. Yeah, I but... thought the same too. Actually, I, I expected more out of Edmonton, so the fact that they are below 500 is just mind-boggling to me. Mm-hmm. Although it's impressive to see just how losing Hall, Eberle, and just how shallow the defense really is, is frankly impressive. Mm-hmm. Now we're on to Winnipeg. Now, Tim, you said the Jets would be a playoff team. I said they were my dark horse for the playoffs. After 41 games, the Winnipeg Jets, 23-11-7. I personally putting them at overachieving because... I really did not expect Winnipeg to be doing this well. And I know that Patrick Laine has been great for Winnipeg. Personally, I think it's the duo of Mark Schreifle and Connor Hellebuck are the reason why Winnipeg is tops in the West right now. Well, you have to add in that Jacob Truba, like you've got Truba and the Buffalo Line are really going hard too. Like everything is emerged. So the Winnipeg Jets have finally put it together. Yeah, but you know what? I didn't expect Winnipeg to be so good this season. And as I said, I thought Steve Mason was going to have a bigger role in Winnipeg. But after watching the Winnipeg Jets earlier this season, it's like, oh, Jesus, Winnipeg clearly didn't make a great decision here. So the fact they went with Connor Hollebuck was an absolute slam dunk for them because finally he has became their number one starting goalie. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Like, the Jets are overachieving, and there's no two ways about that. And they're a young team, too. They're not a team that has a ton of experience outside of Bufflin and even Tyler Myers. Yeah, well, Tyler Myers has been having himself a season. Like, everyone on that team is just playing so well. And it's funny that you mentioned the lack of experience and they've been doing better even after shedding some experience with Andrew Ladd going to New York. Mm-hmm. The Jets are going to be a fun team to watch for the next few years. Oh, for sure. I know our bud Adam is just psyched about the Jets right now. Yeah, no kidding. The big thing is that almost makes all that suffering in Atlanta worthwhile. Almost. Almost. So now we're on to the Eastern teams. We got to go with the Toronto Maple Leafs. After 41 games, the Leafs were 23, 15, and 3. We both said playoff team. 
Personally, I'm putting him at achieving just because despite the early struggles of Mitch Marner and the injuries that Austin Matthews has, the Leafs really haven't regressed overall as a season, although at the time I wrote this, they had been struggling a little bit. Yeah, the Toronto Maple Leafs are pretty are exactly where everyone expected them to be. Yeah. Like they're a strong team, but their defense is so horrid that they just aren't a contender. And now we're on to Montreal. After 41 games, the Montreal Canadiens have a 17-20-4 record. You put them at a likely playoff team, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, likely playoffs realistically miss. I said they would miss the playoffs due to Marc Bergevin's moves. Unsurprisingly, actually, I'm putting them at achieving slash underachieving because, as you remember, the Montreal Canadiens gone off to absolute brutal start to the season but has rebounded to the point where they're just hovering below the 500 mark and the acquisition of Jonathan Druin really hasn't panned out that a lot of half fans hoped for when they traded for him last summer well to be fair I think they're actually playing like they're playing to our expectations of missing because like there's a difference between bubble playoff team and me just being like they will likely miss the guy was 50-50. And the big thing was, is neither of us were sure that Jonathan Drouin would be the guy. And surprisingly, Jonathan Drouin isn't the guy. No, especially what, no when, what they gave up too, right? Yeah, so what? when you look at Montreal, it's a little scary because, like, they don't have any centers. Their defense is old Shea Weber. The only thing they really have is Carey Price, and Carey Price has been average this season. Like, that's not a recipe for success. So I think given the pieces they have, they're underachieving. Sorry, they're achieving even with uh, Claude Julien, who's a very good coach. Like, after the tire fire of this season, after some honestly bone unforced errors by Marc Bergevin, you have to cons- you have to think that he's on thin ice. Or oh, for sure. Gone. Well, the fact that they got rid of... P.K. Subban, I really thought that he was on very thin ice when that trade happened. But the fact that he's still the GM over a year later is still mind-boggling for me when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Like, that was supposed to be a a futures for hockey trade. And, god damn, has that worked out in neither category with P.K. Subban going to the Stanley Cup the year he's traded? Holy fucking shit. Oh, I know, it's crazy. Now we come to the seventh and final team, and believe me, Tim, this one hurts. The Ottawa Senators. After 41 games, the Sens are 14, 18, and 9. Unsurprisingly, I'm putting them at underachieving just because of the good start that we got off. And everybody was clicking, including Eric Carlson, when he got back from injury. And then they went over to Sweden, everything changed. They landed Matt Duchesne, they lost Kyle Turris. They went on that seven-game losing streak, and they started free-falling in the standings. Yeah, it was. The big thing is, is like as bad as Montreal's start to the season was, Ottawa's November or December were probably worse. Oh, it was brutal. The interesting thing is, it looks like the Senators of 2018 have somewhat turned that around. And it's insane. Like If you think about the talent on the Senators... That sort of skid is just mind-boggling because the Senators have probably one of the best top sixes in the like in the NHL. Yeah, and we put it, we both of them put Ottawa as a playoff team at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and adding Matt Duchesne, essentially changing Duchesne for Carlson, sorry, Duchesne for Turris should have been an upgrade. But they probably ripped out the heart of the team, and I think a lot of off-ice issues are really hampering the Senators. And then, but Guy Boucher's weird coaching decisions haven't helped either. No, but then the emergence of the Matt Duchesne, Mike Hoffman duo have been just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And let's Especially, not forget, obviously, Shabbat and Carlson is too. Yeah, the Shabbat Carlson pairing has been, might, you could even argue it's one of the scarier pairings in the NHL. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good, man. If, if only we can keep Eric Carlson. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy. Well, Tim, that wraps up the predictions. So you know what time that means? 
Or you know what that means. It's time for your favorite segment. Yes, it is. Time for the little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Alright, top of the hour. Now, we've got to start off with a sad story. Now, it's not a death story, like the last couple of episodes have been. Now, look, regardless of what you think of this individual as a hockey broadcaster, it still is sad when you hear stuff like this. NBC Sports broadcaster Pierre Maguire has been diagnosed with stage 1 prostate cancer and has had his prostate removed successfully. Well, it's good to hear that they caught it before a problem and like sure Pierre Maguire is a really weird dude but he's yeah. also a really nice guy uh one of my buddies uh he sent Pierre Maguire like a kind of rude email after he really disagreed with Pierre Maguire saying something back in 2010 and then him and Pierre ended up becoming pen pals <laughs> that's awesome yeah so it's like the guy takes time out of his life to like talk to people who want to be part of it, chalk hockey, and the guy just legitimately loves the sport, even if he's not that great of a coach or analyst. Yeah, and I mean, he is very polarizing to a lot of people, but to see the support on social media after this news came out is pretty great to see. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's because even though he's polarizing, most people recognize that he's deep down a, a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the best for Pierre. For sure. And a double D on. <laughs> so, Tim, as you know, we usually leave the Ottawa Senator stories until last, but this piece of news really caught my eye this week. Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson spoke on CBC's Ottawa Morning. He stated on the program that local taxpayers will not contribute a cent towards the construction of a new arena at Le Breton Flats. And also went on to say that res- the responsibility of building a new home for the Senators lies in the private sector's hands. In other words, what he's trying to say is, if the Ottawa Senators want a new building, they have to build it themselves. I'm perfectly fine with that. Yep, and I know when you were on the Maple Syrup Shots Colin show, you guys talked about that with, uh, in Calgary, Ottawa, Dave discussed uh, the Ryder Stadium in Regina. Yeah, if the, if the money's there, they'll pay for it. Like, they paid for it in Washington, D.C. They paid for it in Vegas, and... They're getting the money on their investment. Yeah, but the thing is, though, I don't really think Eugene Melnick's going to put any money into this because he's currently fighting LeBurton Flats. Well, yeah, the f- it's because he's poor. Well, relatively speaking. It's gotten to the point where uh, the other group led by Andrew Demaray, uh, known as DCLSS, they're hovering, and they're openly speaking about coming in as extra partners and you have to imagine bloods in the water it was the point where i can't remember who but they made a reference that andrew demaray and gary bettman are friends and maybe they can work something out maybe uh you know how fucking weird it would be if gary bettman became a folk hero in ottawa well that would be something to think about man yeah that would like like gary bettman like somehow forcing a sale of the Ottawa Senators would probably completely rejuvenate his public image in Canada. Well, considering that he wasn't at the NHL 100 Classic in Ottawa. Yet he still had to put out the... And yet he was immediately there to put out the flames that Eugene Menlik started and did not seem happy about it. No, because Eugene Menlik has made... Or sorry, Gary Bettman has made it known in the past. He doesn't like the sort of cowboys who shoot from the hip sort of owners. That's why Jim Balsilly never became an owner in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's this is a, for, a hindsight 2020 sort of thing. That turned out to be a good decision. Oh, for sure. Because look what happened to re- Research in Motion, now BlackBerry. Yeah, that is, that is actually very true, Tim. Yeah, that's a company that went rudderless for almost a decade. Yep. Yeah, and it's super interesting as this is related to a story later in uh, the top of the hour lineup. Oh, for sure. But before we do that, let's go on to our next story. 
A Sportsnet video regarding former Pittsburgh Penguin forward Kevin Stevens and his battle with addiction was released earlier this week. The video discussed Kevin Stevens' life and his cup-winning years in Pittsburgh before he got seriously injured during a playoff game versus the New York Islanders in 1993, which led him to be addicted to drugs and his battle with addiction over the past 20 years. Now, Tim, do you have... Do you Would you know who Kevin Stevens is by any chance? I wasn't watching hockey at that point, to be honest. But okay. I imagine he's he actually had a fairly large impact on those teams. Well, Kevin Stevens, for probably a good three, four years, he was probably the best power forward whose name wasn't Cam Neely. Oh, damn. This is a guy who scored 120 points, had 200 penalty minutes every year, and... It was funny, I was watching that video and I never saw that the video of the Stevens injury. So when I saw that, it looked gruesome too when he landed. Because what happened was he went at the New York Islanders defenseman and he collided head on, head to head. <sighs> and then he got knocked out and his head hit the ice. Which absolutely just broke broke all the bones that's in his forehead, so they had to reconstruct his whole face. Holy shit. Yeah, and so he got addicted to painkillers after that which is unfortunate but you know what a lot of this happens to athletes all the time and i know former nfl quarterback ryan leaf did the same thing he had back surgery probably a decade ago and he got addicted to painkillers and he went to jail for for robbery for trying to steal them yeah which if you think about it it's amazing that chris draper has never like he might have in private life but it's never come out that he was addicted to any sort of painkillers yeah, and, and you know, Tim, over the past couple of weeks with all of these tough guy stories with drug addiction and all the problems that they're going to going through, I don't want to say it's refreshing, but it is sort of interesting when you hear stuff, stuff from, like, Kevin Stevens and the superstar players from the NHL. Yeah, but it's still like, what the hell is the NHL doing if even the superstar players are getting stuck and left out to dry like this? But the thing is, though, is that he went to rehab, and it looked like he was clean for a little while, and then he got arrested at the end of his career, and then Mario Lemieux hired him as a scout. you got to watch the video. I can't even do it justice sitting here telling you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hockey's a rough-and-tumble sport. For sure. But the PA needs to do better. Yes, they do. Let's go on to our next story. Former Ottawa Senator Alexei Kovalev was in the news. Oh, what for? Did he finally figure out how to play? Well, no. Kovalev always knew how to play, Tim. It was just <laughs> his lack of effort at times wasn't there. But no, that's not yeah. why he's in the news. Alexei Kovalev was at a charity event in at the Colisée Isabelle Brejour in Quebec. I don't know if I'm saying that right at all. Colisée Isabelle Brejour. Thank you, Tim. Where he did an interview with Jeff F., Tremblay of La Presse stating that he doesn't watch the NHL much these days because he doesn't like how the game has evolved since he left the NHL in 2011. The th- now look, the Sportsnet article I found the story from didn't did not clarify what Kovalev meant on what he dislikes about this evolution of the game. And he- also they got it wrong because the article said he left the NHL in 2013 when he left in 2011. Yeah. Sergey, get your shit together, Sportsnet. Well, the thing is, he doesn't really even clarify it when he speaks to La Presse. No, he doesn't. Yeah, so, like, I dug out the original article, and he didn't really say anything about it there. Okay. He just mentioned he didn't like how the game turned, but he still want, he still likes to lace them up now and then. Yeah, and I, I know that players that he's played with over the years have come out and said Kovalev had, hands down, the best hands they've ever seen. Yeah, well, maybe he doesn't like the defenses are reacting to the more possession-based hockey? Who knows? Maybe. Kovlov's a weird dude. Yeah, but you know, you could say that about a lot of the Russian players, though, Tim. Mm-hmm. But then again, that might just be a cultural thing. Maybe. So they probably think we're just as weird. Yeah. So let's move on to our next story. The NHL has announced that the sale of the Carolina Hurricanes to Tom Dunn Dundon has been completed. Dundon will own 61% of the team, while former owner Peter Carmanos will retain a minority stake. 
Now, I know this is a story that you really want to talk about here on Top of the Air this week. Yeah, like, it's funny because uh, Dundon really seems to be uh, coming in with a great attitude. Basically, after coming in and taking on the Carolina Hurricanes, he was immediately asked about the Hurricanes' attendance problems, which are probably worse than the Senators, where he comes out and uh, he blames the fans, says everything's going to suck and move. Oh, wait, no, that's a different owner. Uh, Dundon basically came out and said, if the fans aren't coming, there's a reason for that. We have to be better. Yeah, and you know what? If you look back at the attendance of their early years, like it was pretty sparse to begin with up until 2002 when they made the Stanley Cup Finals. Their building was full. They started missing the playoffs, and then the fans stopped coming until they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and the thing is, is like the team's probably just not interesting. Like maybe there's no marketing stories. And the hard thing about Carolina is they're always so close. And it's just the goaltending has never been good enough. No, but Carolina is a very very big football market at the moment because of the Carolina Panthers going to the Super Bowl in the last couple of years. And UNC and USC usually have good teams as well. Oh, for sure. And let's not yeah, forget but... the Charlotte Hornets, too, who are also a team in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the big thing is it's just they haven't done enough. Like, the old ownership just didn't do enough to market the team and really give people a reason to care. No, but you know what? I mean, you can look at a lot of southern markets where they're struggling, and you could pretty much say the same same thing about them. Is that mm-hmm. they may not market it great, but they also don't have a great team on the ice. Like, look at guy teams like Florida, for example. Look at Atlanta when they were around. Yeah, like Arizona. my favorite Atlanta story was uh, as a, a stunt to sell season tickets, they put their mascot in jail where they had to sell a thousand, I think it was 5,000 season tickets for him to get busted out. He spent a whole night in prison. I, You know what? I think this is the first time I've ever actually heard about this, Tim. Yeah, it was just, it was Atlanta's last season in the league. And it's funny because you'd think filling an arena of 17,000 wouldn't be that hard in a metro area of like 5 million. But you also got to affect Atlanta is a very bandwagon sport city where it really yeah. depends on which team is doing well, right? When the Atlanta Braves were having those great teams, they were always sold out. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks the last couple of seasons have had pretty good attendance. Hell, even the Atlanta Falcons are having pretty good attendance at the moment. Yeah, and the Thrashers were just never good. They had one season where they made the playoffs. And they got swept. Yeah. And not even Johnny Oduya could save them after the Kovalchuk trade. No. Not even Johnny could do that. Not even young Johnny Oduya. So, Tim, we only got one trade to talk about. And it involves the Arizona Coyotes trading forward Anthony Duclair and defenseman Adam Clending to the Chicago Clendenning. Black Denning. Clendenning to the Chicago Blackouts for forward Richard Panic and Laurent Duppin. Duclair had nine goals, six assists for 15 points in 33 games of the season for the Arizona Coyotes. I feel like Arizona didn't get enough in this trade. No, I. but the thing is, though, I felt Anthony Duclair's trade value wasn't exactly high, given his yeah. performance the last year or so. Well, I, like, yeah, he wasn't really getting minutes, and I think his development stalled. And I guess that's the same same story with Richard Panic. So I think it's reclamation project for rec, reclamation pro, project, and then uh, Clint Denning and Laurent Dauphin are both not very Laurent Dauphin just aren't very good defensemen, so they're basically swapping crap defensemen. Yeah, it's like I feel like maybe Arizona could have gotten another draft pick or something, but yeah, they really mismanaged Duclair. Yes, they did. Which is a shame. Well, hopefully he'll be do he'll do better in uh, Chicago. Hopefully. Yeah, especially with a good quote coaching Quenville mm-hmm. instead of uh, whoever they got now. 
Yeah, well, uh, Rick Tosh, it's been just brutal. Well, Tim, we come to our final story of the night, bud. And it's a signing. The Anaheim Ducks, they re-signed Andrew Cogliano to a three-year, $9.75 million contract extension with an AAV, 3.25. Cogliano had five goals, 13 assists for 18 points in 43 games this season with the Anaheim Ducks and was set to be a UFA on July 1st. Now, just a little buffer before we go into this. First story next week, Andrew Cogliano was suspended two games, ending his Ironman streak. You almost rarely see Ironman streaks ended by uh, suspensions. It's kind of weird. No, it's usually injuries. Yeah. I almost don't count being a dumbass as ending the Ironman streak. No? No, but yeah, he's not. He's missing games, which is a thing. Andrew Cogliano is one of those small centers that Edmonton had around the time they went to the Stanley Cup playoffs or just after, and both him and Sam Gagne have moved on to, like, they bounced around, never really did anything. And then suddenly they finally found their rhythm. Well, if you remember, Tim, when Danny Heatley was rumored to go to Edmonton, Cogliano was a part of that deal to come to the Senators. Yeah, it was Cogliano, Smead, and a first, right? Yes, I believe it was. And that first probably would have turned into Jordan Eberle. No, because Eberle was already drafted by Edmonton. Oh, right. We would have gotten... Who would have they have drafted that year? Uh... wasn't Yakupov, and it wasn't... Eugene Hawkins? No, it was Taylor Hall. Yeah, it would have been... Ta- no, was what, Taylor Hall taking... What, no, Taylor... what year was uh, the first? Uh, I think the first was for the Tavares draft. Mm, that would have been... I don't even remember who Edmonton took that year. No, I don't actually remember either. No, Couldn't... it was uh, Magnus Piarvi. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was he was something, I guess. Does he st- doesn't he still play in Nashville, or is he gone? No, I think he's in St. Louis. If he oh. isn't, I think he might be in Sweden at the moment, or Russia. Yeah, well, there's no room on that st louis team no that's a a solid team oh for sure well i wasn't expecting Braden shen to be as good as he was no actually neither did i to be perfectly honest with you yeah although i think philadelphia got a pretty good return for him if i remember correctly god i don't remember who philly got for him yeah it's not like uh pittsburgh who traded for uh Oh, they traded for someone dumb. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week. Now it's gone to talk about the games. We only got two games to talk about this evening. We got the Chicago Blackhawks versus the Ottawa Senators and the Battle of Ontario from Toronto. But before we do that, Tim, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. All right, Tim, let's talk about the first game of the week. The Chicago Blackhawks versus the Ottawa Senators. This was an 8-2 Black... Oh, yeah, that's right. We lost 8-2 to them, didn't we? 8-2 Blackhawks victory. Sens goals were scored by Mark Stone and Derek Broussard. Blackhawk goals were scored by Jonathan Taze with two, Nick Schmoltz with two, Patrick Kane, Patrick Sharp, Richard Panik, who was involved in the... In the deal there with Anthony Duclair and Jan Ruda. Shots were 43-27 for the Blackhawks. Richard Panic opened the scoring for Chicago in the slot to make it 1-0. Patrick Sharp with the wrister makes it 2-0. Schmaltz backhands the rebound, 3-0. Taze with the with the rebound makes it 4-0 Blackhawks. Mark Stone gets Ottawa on the board to make it 4-1 with his signature backhand. And if it's not his signature, it should be. Dirk Brazard deflects it off his chest to make it 4-2. And it went all downhill from here. Schmaltz 5-2, Ruta 6-2, Tave 7-2, Kane 8-2. Boy. Yeah, so let's try to find some bright spots in the game. It Honest- ended. Yeah, it's uh, up until about, like the first period, Ottawa and Chicago, it actually wasn't too bad of a game. Uh, Andy played quite well. The Sens were able to move some of the pucks around, and they weren't getting totally ass-blasted. 
Second goal, Andy let in the ultimate softy. Like, it was bad. Yeah, I'm not even going to comment. It was pretty bad. Like, it was... It was the... He got scored on on the AHL side. And same for the third goal. Shabbat looked pretty good, but him and Carlson were out there for three goals at five-on-five, and I think that was the worst game that Carlson's played this season. Although, story of the game is just how... On top of the weakness at 5v5, Ottawa's penalty kill was just retarded. Like, it looked worse than it has at any point this season. Really? Yeah. CeCe and FNUF were on for three power play goals against. And uh, Harper was on for another power play goal against. Yeah, it was half the goals were scored on on Chicago power plays. Shabbat looked pretty good. I felt like he actually he was actually the only sender really able to move the puck. Um, Although it looked Marks, like Cody Cece had a couple of good rushes in that game, though, from what I saw. Kind of, but most of the time, Cece, Fenuf, Clayson, and even Carlson and Harper were, like, even Carlson were hemmed in their own end for extended periods of time. Except for, like, those two shifts where it went from 4 nothing to 4-2. That was the only time Ottawa really looked explosive in the game. With uh, Carlson and Stone had decided they'd had enough. Like, that first shift after the goal, Ottawa had five shots on goal before Stone's backhander went in. Like, that's what the Sens are capable of. But, really, it was just fucking terrible. Yeah, no, like I said... I didn't get a chance to watch this game because I was at work. I checked the score on my phone, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, we're losing how many goals? And then I checked it later, and it was like 7-2, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to watch this game. Yeah, I think somewhere in the margin of my page, I just have kill me written. And by written, I mean scribbled. Correct me if I'm wrong, Tim. Didn't I message you at that some point of that night, and I'm just like... So, that was a game, huh? Yeah, that happened. Yeah, I think it was, Yeah, you're like, I saw the score, and I just have, like, a photo... Like, a photo of an anime girl looking out at just a torrential downpour. It should have been that the gift from The Simpsons where Millhouse was standing on the monkey bars. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. But, holy... And the worst thing is, is, like, Chicago came into this game limping. Like, Richard Panic hadn't scored a goal in, like, 10, 18 games. Brent Seabrook was benched to send a mess, was scratched to send a message. And Ottawa turns in that? Yeah, those are some of the nights that we have this season. And we're playing Burroughs and Dumont at 11 and 9 minutes a game? Like, what the fuck? I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say, Tim. The only thing I, I could we... suggest is maybe putting you out of your misery and going on to the next game. Yeah, and then... I'm sad because I didn't get a chance to watch this one. I watched the replays, though. Well, let me tell you, Tim. It was a game, for sure. But before we go into our next game, I gotta get you to do something for me, bud. Tim? Yeah? If you want to see me go into the next game, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. Round two of the Battle of Ontario. Sens versus Leafs. This was a 4-3 Senators victory. Sens goals were scored by Tom Shabbat, Mike Hoffman, Gabriel Dumont. I know, I still can't believe he scored either. And Tom Pyatt. Leafs goals were scored by Andreas Borgman. James Van Rienstijk, and Morgan Riley. Shots were 48-32 for the Maple Leafs. Toronto dominated the Senators in this game in shot attempts, scoring chances, and in the shot department. Ottawa didn't really look their best in this game, with the exception of Craig Anderson, who, personally, I feel he was the MVP of this game. Like, this guy actually stood on his head. It was unbelievable. It's funny, though, because if you kind of look at the shot matrixes after the game, it's 
weird things are popping out. So I didn't get a chance to watch the game, but looking at certain things like Shabbat and Carlson eating up the the Leafs defense, Cody Cece and Fanuf stymieing the the Matthews line fairly well. It's like this game is a weird game where it looks like m- most of the best attempts came from pairings you wouldn't expect. Tim, I'm about to say something very controversial here on the show, and it's something that, honestly, I never thought I would ever have to say. The Ottawa Senators did not deserve to win this game. The only reason we won this game is because of Craig Anderson. Nobody else on the Senators showed up. Even looking at the scoreboard, sure, we may have won, but seriously, Austin Matthews had three scoring chances in the first two minutes, and he nearly buried all of them. Well, to be fair... It's a team that played the night before, then traveled. Like, Playing the only reason we won is because the Leafs took their foot off the gas in the third period. Yeah, and that's their fault. Like, they're playing against a team that played the night before, so... Yeah. Like, kudos to the Senators for even getting four goals in the net. And to be fair, like, the plays that turned into goals were frequently quite nice plays by the Senators. Yeah. So you do have to give them that. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom in this game. Uh, the Duchesne-Hoffman duo is still lighting it up. That Oh, God, that pass that Duchesne gave Hoffman. Oh, so good. Yeah. Thomas Shabbat, I mean, he scored as well, but, I mean, he didn't even have a great game. It really was just Craig Anderson standing on his head, and even the commentators said that, too. They said the only reason they're in it is because of Craig Anderson. Like, what a great rebound game for... Andy coming off, letting in four, five goals against the Blackhawks four the night brutal before. Goals. Yeah, and then he comes into Toronto, and he beats them. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. I think even Shabbat, given what they had, it was still a pretty pretty decent game. But then it looks like Shabbat kind of got stapled to the bench. Yeah, he. I didn't really notice him out there for most of the third period. Yeah. Yeah, he only ended up playing 12 minutes. No. Although but I do ben have to say, and I didn't put this in my notes, Colin White, I thought, looked pretty decent for what ice time he got, too. Well, he's, like, it was Colin White that set up the Dumont goal, right? Yep. And it was a beautiful setup. Oh, was it ever? Yeah, because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he passed it to Dumont, Dumont shot it, it hit the backboards, came back out to him, and he scored. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. Like, for a fourth liner. Well, I mean, I put it up more towards luck than a beautiful goal, but yeah, sure, we'll go with beautiful goal. But then again, like, you have to admit, if your team's defense is giving up those sorts of chances to Gabriel Dumont after playing the night be- after he played the night before, your defense is pretty fucking shit. Yeah, and you know what? We've been very honest about that here on the show, Tim. Yeah, like, as much as well as the Maple Leafs forwards played, god damn their defense wasn't there. No, it was not. So like, I still feel like auto like it wasn't Ottawa getting absolutely decimated. Like, the Sens were the tired team going in, conserved their energy, struck where they could, played a good enough road game to get the win. Well, Tim, I don't have any more notes. Do you have any notes? to go along with this game before we can close it out? It's just a really weird stat line, all things considered. Yeah, and let's not forget, we're also having round three of the Battle of Ontario next Saturday in Ottawa. Here's the thing, is a lot of those shot attempts and shots, it really was just Ottawa didn't show up for the first period. No, they didn't show up for the first two periods. The third, yeah. they sort of showed up, but it was just because the Leafs really took but their foot off the gas and stopped playing hard. What's interesting is if there's the Leafs in the first period where it's clear domination, then eh, they never really get back to that at any point in the game. Well, Tim, I guess I guess it's time to close it out for another evening, eh, bud? Yeah. All right. Before we close it out, guys, I just got to say, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast because, believe me, I... And Tim, love recording them for you. You can find us on iTunes. You can please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash ThirdLinePlugSenseCast. 
because our bod Dave, former host of Maple Syrup Shots, made the mention, we were on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I am at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8-W-Y-T-E-Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about these games, give us some kudos about our second highest listened to episode, or you just miss Clark MacArthur. You can choose an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got to go on to the, the games for next week. We've got two games again on the schedule. Thursday in St. Louis and Saturday, round three of the Battle of Ontario in Ottawa versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. God, the end of the bye week couldn't come soon enough. I know, but you know what, Tim? If there's one good thing this bye week has done... It's been good NFL playoff football. It's been a weird playoffs, dude. Holy shit. Like, who the fuck would have picked Jacksonville to beat Pittsburgh? And it wasn't even, like, a fluke win. Jacksonville was ahead the whole game. Oh, I know. I mean, the only thing that was crazier was that final Minnesota Vikings throw in the final seconds that knocked off New Orleans. Yeah, it was like last play, no timeout, so they couldn't even get into the kick position. And then it's just a fuck it throw that somehow works. I know. It's fucking amazing. I know. It was so good. And I mean, it's funny because I, I messaged our bud Dave about it and I go, because he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I say, oh, so I guess your team and your former team, the New Orleans Saints, are going to be playing in the next round, eh, bud? And he goes... Yeah, and then he messaged me back like two minutes later. He goes, holy fuck, did you see that? And I messaged him back like, uh, no, what happened? Did the Vikings come back? And then the Fantasy Football Facebook page I'm on blew up. Yeah, because like that was just so unexpected. I know. Really, the only thing that people expected to happen that did was Tennessee got mauled by New England. Yeah, that's not surprising, though. Although, Tennessee's football this year has been so greasy, random luck stuff, I was almost half expecting something stupid to happen. Oh, for sure. Like Mariota missing a pass by bonking it off the Cleveland Chiefs player's helmet. Sorry, Cleveland. uh, Kansas City Chiefs player's helmet in such a way that it falls back into his own hands and he keeps running. Oh, I know. That was crazy. (laughs) It's just like, that's Titans football for you. Yeah. But you know what, Tim? This next coming Sunday... Man, this is going to be exciting, bud. you got the Vikings versus... Who the fuck are they playing in the next round? Uh, Philly. That's it. That. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, it's Philly, Minnesota, but it's the AFC that I'm interested about. Jacksonville versus New England. Like, I don't know about like, you, but I've been sort of bandwagoning the Jaguars because I'm just like, I don't want to see New England win a sixth Super Bowl. I'm sick and tired of watching them win every fucking year. Like, I want to see somebody else win. And but if I it's don't Jacksonville, want to see eat Tide Pods. Well, you know what? You shouldn't be eating Tide Pods, Tim. <laughs> don't you remember that PSA from when we were kids? The don't you put it in your mouth with the blue oh, little the fucking creepy. burps? Is that gonna have to come back? Yes. I hope not. Oh fuck. But yeah, like the thing though is like I wonder if uh, Jacksonville will be able to take advantage of this. Like I'm not sure. Like I haven't been watching Jacksonville, so I don't know how they play, but. Jacksonville had two games this season where they got 10 sacks. Damn. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, is New England is so surgical that I can't imagine them making many mistakes. No. But you know what? They've been doing that for the past 15 years or so. Belichick has been, is an incredibly good coach. He is. But still, I still want to see Jacksonville win because... Ah, where did I see it? It was somewhere on Twitter, and they showed the the standings of the Jaguars of the past, like, seven, eight seasons, and it's like, fourth worst, fifth worst, second, third, and it goes right down, and it goes, AFC Championship game. I'm just like, that's awesome. They better win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Like, I, like, you and I were joking about it off air, like, oh my god, are we going to go to Jacksonville Jaguars podcast if they win the Super Bowl? Yeah, no kidding. And welcome to, we went from a first round, a first seed draft pick to the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, they went from like a top five pick, I believe. I think uh, Leonard Fournette was the top. I think he was a third pick, if I'm not mistaken, last last year. Yeah. That guy's a fucking beast. I don't know why I didn't pick him in my fantasy league. Because you weren't expecting Jacksonville to be good? No, I should have picked the Jaguars defense, even though I don't like their logo. It looks like the fucking Cheetah Men from the NES games. Ugh. But, like, a, you do know that the U.S. Trademark Office actually forced them to change their logo, hey? Really? Yeah, it looked too much like the car company logo. But you know what? The Golden Knights military branch is looking to do the same thing with the Golden Knights, too. Yeah, because... Yeah, it's... <laughs> because just, they named their team after the... After I'm just saying... Division. The Las Vegas Cockblockers, it's still there, Vegas. They'll probably just change it to, like, the Vegas Knights or something. No, the, the Cockblockers are better. Yeah, but they got all of the shit out there with, like, Knight logos and stuff. Well, you can change it to a rooster head. I guess, but... That's a lot of stuff you have to throw out. Well, I guess they could just donate it to Africa. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up there, Tim, because this has really gone off the rails from going from our clothes to talking about other sports. Yeah. If you want to see something weird, just look up what teams do with uh, stuff they can't sell. Yeah, that's what the teams that lose the Super Bowl do. They send them all to over to Africa. Yeah. So that means that the meme was true this whole time. What? It'll take a lot to get me away from you? More than 100 meg could ever do? Okay, I guess it's time to wrap this up now, Tim. (laughs) Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Chetsy. Go Sens, guys. My time here is up. They're going home!